Hey, hey, hey. Welcome to the Pastor Duke podcast. We continue the series on David in his own words. God looked back on this guy with all of his frailties, with all of his messes, and called him a man after God's own heart. That gives me courage, and I trust that this uh, different sort of a look at David's life is bringing blessing to you. Today is my final session, and may the Lord put his hand upon it. Thanks for joining me today. Here we go. It wasn't easy to show my face in public after the Absalom Civil War tragedy. Many good citizens questioned if God really wanted me still on the throne, and I don't blame them. Most people, though, were still loyal, even though there was so much shame on my part. I just couldn't believe how these things had unfolded. They couldn't really be proud of their once awesome king. It would turn out to be the 40th and last year of my reign, turning 70 years old this year. But healing, thankfully, would come to the nation. Sorry to say, but I had one more stupid mistake left in me. I sent Joab out to take a national census and measure up my military might. That might sound rather innocent on the outside, but it really wasn't. There wasn't a spirit of humility there at all. It was a spirit of pride. Still left foolishness in my heart. Why would anyone really trusting God feel the need to measure up the strength of his military forces? There was no pressure on me to do so. Our enemies were defeated now. Joab counseled me not to do it. It doesn't matter how many troops you have or uh, don't have. Our strength is in the Lord and, and not in our military. Joab was so right, but I didn't listen to him. He followed my orders, and it turns out a few months later, he came back with the report. We had over a million armed men ready for war, which thankfully they would never have to fight. While glowing in the report of our military strength, the prophet Gad pays me a visit with major disapproval of God for what I have done. I'm so glad God didn't make Nathan come and pay me another visit. He loved me, helped me through the horrific time that my stupidity had opened up for the enemy to do to my family. Here I'd been opening another door for the enemy by my pride, by my lack of faith. The prophet Gad gives me uh, three options facing me, all judgments for my stupidity. Three years famine, three months smitten before our enemies, or three days pestilence from the Lord. It's all my fault. But it was an easy choice. Oh, Lord, I'll take the three days pestilence. Let me not fall into the hands of our enemies and see what evil men would do unto us. I chose to trust in the mercies of our Lord. So our people suffered through those horrific days. God weeding out, no doubt, the worst of our people. But it was all on me. God uh, means what he says and says what he means. How could I have been, again, so foolish? Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But God still does good even in the worst of times. As the pestilence was hitting, it was time for me to make a huge and quick sacrifice publicly to show my humility and repentance before God. Perhaps God would end the pestilence early, which he mercifully did. 
Gad told me where to go to build the new altar. Go to the threshing floor of Arna. And there turned out to be a whole lot more going on on that than I could see in the moment. This site was the very site where Abraham offered his son Isaac, Mount Moriah. Oh my goodness. It was there on Moriah where God miraculously provided the offering, the sacrifice for Abraham. A ram is caught in the thicket by its horns. Man, you don't see that every day, but it happened. You remember that Jehovah Jireh experience for Abraham? The Lord provided. And this site was sacred to our people. Today, you people call this site the Temple Mount. Arna, out of the goodness of his heart, was willing to give me the site but I refuse. No, I'm not taking your land for free. This pestilence is on me. It's not on you. It's my fault, not yours. So I paid him full price for the land as was proper in my eyes. God accepted the sacrifice and ended the pestilence ahead of schedule. Mercy kicked back in the very moment my heart repented. Sure wish I had listened to Joab this time, but I didn't. As my health declined, my only focus now was making sure supplies were amassed and ready for Solomon to build the temple. And now I had the site. I donated that site. The temple would go up. I got to uh, give the actual real estate 22 sacred acres on the top of Moriah. Oh my, what a perfect place. How awesome is that? It would be part of my personal offering to God at the end of my life and administration. Millions and millions and millions of people would trek to this site for ages to come. That's the good that came from that evil. You know, good and evil run on parallel tracks and often arrive about the same time. Time had come now for me to give my final speech to the nation. I was nervous. It would be my final hurrah to these, my people. Physically, I was not strong, but God gave me strength for that sacred event. It was a time of reflection and a time of projection. Kind of like that was then and God was awesome, but hey, this is now and God is still awesome. God is still good. I spoke briefly of that day long ago when Samuel, whom everyone loved, came to our house in Bethlehem and anointed me. 15-year-old kid, to be the next king of Israel. I quoted my sweetest psalm, written in hard time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. There were tears in the audience as they saw tears streaming down my face. I reminded our people it wasn't about me, it was about God and His glory. I'll soon be gone, but God will still be there. It wasn't me who killed Goliath. It was God. If there were good judgments, judiciary, good economy, good foreign policy, good military strength, it wasn't me. It was God speaking through me. All glory to God who alone is worthy to be praised. But as much as these people loved me, they knew I was a flawed man. God doesn't find the perfect to use them. He seems to be able to work in the hearts of anybody. I didn't try to hide it or pretend I was more 
than I really was. They were hard words for me to say, but they had to be said when I said, uh, although it be not so with my house, yet God hath made with me an everlasting covenant. I didn't have to expand upon all my personal family woes. They pretty much already knew that. I confessed that I didn't do it all right, and boy, did that cost me deeply, and it cost me where it hurt the most, right at home among my kids. Woulda, coulda, shoulda, but it is what it is, and grace was greater than all of my sin. But then I went direct to the Davidic covenant from my lowest moments, my own stupidity, to my highest. As I would soon be off the scene, the covenant would bring blessing to the people of Israel, yea, to the world forever. The temple will soon begin. My greatest dream will soon become reality, though I'll be watching from the other side. And one from my lineage, one from my seed will sit upon the throne of Israel forever. We couldn't see all that back in those days, but you can see it all from your day. Fourteen generations till our fall to Babylon and fourteen more generations till our Messiah Jesus came from my lineage. Only God could devise such a amazing plan. Marvelous in our eyes is the work of the Lord. I mentioned ever so briefly the evil adversaries ever along the way and how they desired to destroy us, but they did not succeed. Thank you, Lord. Looking back, it's just like God used them to make us lean harder on himself. They did not triumph over us. When God is for us, who can be against us? Then the best part of my speech, the one I got most excited about, I got to call out in holy text recorded in the word of God, not once but twice, the names of my mighty men who all said they looked to me for strength and leadership. All the while, I sort of looked to them. This was my time to celebrate what God did through them. I was nothing without God I was nothing without these men. As they had seen God's hand on me, they trusted God would have his hand on them. They rose up in faith, and man, oh man, did they step up. Our nation loved hearing their names as their national heroes. It was pure joy on my part to brag on what God did through a dino, lifting up his spear against 800 men whom he slew, that was far scarier, I would think, than me facing off with one giant. These were mighty men of valor who could keep rank. With exceeding joy, I called off their names, Eleazar, Shammah, Abishai, brother of Joab, Benaiah, oh man, Benaiah, you rock, dude, Asahel, another brother of Joab, Elikai, 37 in all, but I saved the best for last, Uriah the Hittite. I'll see Uriah on the other side, and boy, do I owe him. The one who converted from paganism risked his life to save mine as his king. I can't fix what I did, but I can honor him the very best way I know how in this moment. He was supposed to learn from me, but I was the one who ultimately learned from him.
God bless you, Uriah. So, so sorry for my pathetic behavior and sin against you. You will be my hero through eternity. I felt so good after that speech. I gave honor to whom honor is due. Our people saw my heart, and that's what I wanted them to see. As I grew weaker, the transition team was hard at work. I was thrilled to see the stone, the timbers, and all the other resources needed for the temple were amassing. I was watching it closely. But there would come, sadly, one final heartbreak. Yeah, from within my family, Adonijah, younger brother of Absalom, conspired with Joab, go think, to exalt himself to be the king. This insurrection, thankfully, did not get far like the Absalom revolt had gone just a year or so ago. The devil's back at it again. Nathan the prophet was still, our prophet still loved me, got the news and came straight to the palace. He broke the news first to Bathsheba and with my man Benaiah, now captain of our armies. And then they came together and told me of Adonijah's coup to try to take over the nation. They needed to hear one last official time my choice as king, knowing already it was Solomon. I confirmed it. They moved like lightning. Zadok the priest, Benaiah representing the military, and Nathan the prophet took Solomon to the gate of the city. They sounded the trumpets. A huge crowd gathered. And, of course, the crowd knew I was nearing death, and they were pretty much in the know of what to expect, what would happen. Nathan and Zadok anointed my son Solomon to be king. You might call it his inauguration. It was now official. Word got back to Adonijah and Joab before their fake inauguration news got back to Jerusalem. They were rightfully exposed, shamed, and feared for their lives. Step quickly into obscurity and into hiding. I never saw Joab again, nor did Adonijah dare show his face. With Solomon locked in as king, I did not feel the need to hunt them down and execute judgment that their treasonous acts so deserved. Grace was extended to others as God had shown grace to me. The transition was now complete. My days were in their final countdown. One thing left, my fatherly and my kingly agenda, my final talk with Solomon, passing the baton, as it were, of leadership. Just think about that for a moment. Solomon, child of Bathsheba, wife of Uriah, then wife of David. Solomon's full brother to that little baby who died years ago because of my sin. Seems to me that grace and mercy run very deep. I was so ready for this talk. Solomon was so humble. He was clearly overwhelmed with the task before him. He did have that wonderful sense of destiny. He might not have understood why he was chosen of God to be king, but he did know that he was chosen and that is so important. I started our talk right where Moses started his final words to Joshua. Solomon, my son, walk with God. 
Keep your eyes on him. Fear him and him only. No need to fear man. If God is for us, who can be against us? Hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against God. You've seen up close and personal the serious mistakes and sins that your daddy committed. You saw the unnecessary suffering that my sins brought to our family. Learn from my mistakes. Don't repeat my foolishness. Keep yourself pure. Keep yourself surrounded by wise counselors. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Keep your ears open to listen. Stay teachable. Ask God for wisdom. Solomon, drain the swamp. Did you hear me, son? Drain the swamp. You know now where Joab stands. Don't let him die a natural death. Keep your eyes on Shimei. He cannot be trusted. He's still loyal to the Saul dynasty after all these years and evidence of God upon our family. Make good trade deals. Be good to our allies and show no weakness or sympathy to our adversaries. Solomon, take good care of your mama. She has been through so much. This past year has been the worst we've ever seen together. Solomon, watch your brother Adonijah. We've shown grace through this coup attempt he just did. Keep him at a distance. I sense he cannot be trusted. Remember, son, just as God put me on this throne, the same God is now putting you on the same throne. God has given us peace against our fiercest enemies who are all now defeated and the rest of our enemies are in retreat. Keep the military strong, but focus on the job at hand. It's all about the temple now, son. Much of the materials are on site. God gave the blueprint himself to build the temple. He provided the supplies. He has provided the workforce. It's all in your hands now, son. No pressure here. <laughs> we wept together. He hugged me. Mama joined, kind of like a family hug. He was ready, ready as you can be. His heart was right. His spirit was humble. The nation was behind him. His security was not in himself, but in his God. His devotional life was strong. He had so many of my psalms committed to memory. Kind of made me proud. I gave him that final father blessing as Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob. Jacob blessed Joseph. It was my time now to bless my son Solomon. It was simple. It was quiet. It was sacred. In my final hours, it was all reflection now. You know, young men dream, as I had done, but old men reflect. And that's what I did during my final hours. Remembering back to being that shepherd boy, God had done exceedingly abundantly above all that I ever asked or thought. Wow. Why did he choose me? I may never know, but I'm humbled and I'm happy that he did. With great joy, I took one more labored peak out the window to Mount Moriah where the supplies for the temple 
were being starred. Oh, it was so close. But I knew that temple for the glory of God would soon go up. It had been an unbelievable journey. I had battle scars. I had some deep remorse. Some things I could never fix. But now, at the end, I had peace, which passeth all understanding. It was my time, and I went home. And may all who come behind me find me faithful. I worshiped my way through. I was a greater repenter than I was a sinner. And I'll be watching the Temple Project. And I'll be watching for you to step up in your time. and Let God show himself awesome to you and through you. Amen and amen. Hey. That's a different way of looking at the life of David. I hope it all was a blessing to you. I poured myself into it. Got 95 pages of handwritten notes here. Did the best to dramatize it, make it come real. Thanks to John Westfall, my editor, who uh, tightened things up a little bit. <laughs> you should hear some of the rough drafts he gets. And if you haven't tuned in, according to John on podcast, I am his co-host. You find it on almost any podcast network, according to john.podbean.com. That'll take you there. According to John, tune him in and uh, covenant together with us to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. So we're done with David. Moving on. Pray for me. Hey, love you. Have a good day. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.